When was the last time that you watched, listened to, or were given good news? Whether you read the local newspaper, enjoy the news at 10, or spend your lunch hour scrolling through the latest media of the day, you will find that our news is dominated with negative headlines or hard luck stories. I can't recall indeed a time at all where the news ever felt balanced, where there was one positive story for every negative story. And apparently there is good reason for this, and it's not just that we employ pessimistic newsreaders or reporters. A study carried out by the psychologists Trussler and Sirocco invited participants from their university to come to the lab for a study on eye tracking. The volunteers were first asked to select some stories uh, about politics to read from a news website so that a camera could make the baseline measurements of their eyes. It was important, they were told, that they actually read the articles so that the right measurements could be taken. But it didn't matter what they chose to read. After this preparation phase, they watched a short video, which they thought, as participants, was the main point of the experiment, but this was just a filler task. And then they answered questions on the kind of political news they would like to read. The results of the experiment, as well as the stories that were most read, were somewhat depressing. Participants often chose stories with a negative tone, corruption, setbacks, hypocrisy, and so on, rather than neutral or positive stories. People who were more interested in current affairs and politics, indeed, were particularly likely to choose bad news. But yet, when asked the question, what type of news would they prefer, almost universally, participants said, good news. On average, they said that the media was too focused on negative stories. And thus, the study concluded that contrary to popular belief, humankind has a so-called negativity bias a term for our collective hunger to hear and remember bad news. So over these next three weeks, our challenge as a church is to consciously put aside our so-called negativity bias and rather focus in on what our souls and hearts actually yearn for, the good news of Jesus Christ. And over the next three weeks, in the lead up to Christmas, we're going to consider three different events where the good news of Jesus' pending birth, or indeed his arrival, was shared. Three different proclamations of the rescuing king entering the world to save his people. What could be better news than that? Turn with me, please, to, to Luke chapter 1, Luke's Gospel chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 26 through to, and including verse 35. Reading from the ESV translation, and it should be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather as a, gather as a church and to come round your word and to ponder it afresh. Lord, we pray that you would speak deep into our hearts, that you would engage our minds, that you would challenge uh, our behaviours, Father. And Lord, that we would reflect on the news that we, that we read this morning through your word. Lord, this good news, Father, we pray that you would speak to us afresh today, we pray in your precious son's name. Amen. This narrative that I've just read from Luke's gospel is familiar to me as it is to you, as I'm sure it is to the majority of Aberdeen this Christmas. Many, of course, will be light on the detail, but the vast majority still know the major components of the Christmas story. I know, and I know this is true because I did a straw poll in the office this past week. They know that the angel who came to speak to Mary, for example, is called Gabriel. They know that Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph, and they know that Mary was a virgin. But the question here isn't the facts of the news. They are a given. What matters here is do we realize that this news that Gabriel has is good news? And that's a question that everyone should ask themselves. Be they a believer or unbeliever, someone young in the faith or someone mature in the faith, do they, do we realize this is good news? Do we live our lives in a manner that are reflective of this as the good news? That's the central question I'd like us to consider today. And as we do that, I thought it'd be helpful if we could consider the good news and its impact from three different time perspectives. The good news that was, the good news that is, and the good news that is to come. Firstly, the good news that was. The veracity of the news these days is often called into question. What constitutes truth? What spin or take or opinion is to be trusted or adhered to or accepted is hard to establish. We find it increasingly difficult as people, or at least I do, to separate fact from fiction, truth from mistruth, noise from clarity. We have people employed full-time as fact-checkers or reality-checkers. But who audits the fact-checkers? Who verifies their conclusions? The news is loud The news is constant. The news radiates from every little piece of technology that we have. And in theory, it should enlighten us. In theory, it should make us smarter, able to make decisions more quickly, to respond better, to understand more. Yet we are caught between a rock and a hard place, overwhelmed with information and unable to distinguish 
What is actually the good news? We lack wisdom. Brett McCracken, author of The Wisdom Pyramid, it's a book I would encourage you to buy, says this, Our world has more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusement, less joy. There is more, but we are less. Yet when we come to the news proclaimed in Luke 1 by the angel Gabriel, there is no question about fact or fiction. There is no potential for fable or fallacy. There is no scope for mistruth. For written hundreds of years before this encounter between Mary and the angel Gabriel are the words of the prophet Isaiah from chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And here we have it fulfilled in our passage from Luke's gospel in verse 35. And the angel answered him, that's Gabriel, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel is God's messenger. The angel is the sign referred to in in Isaiah. Mary is the virgin referenced in Isaiah. The Son of God born to her is the one called Emmanuel in Isaiah. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is truth stepping through the ages. This is God's good news and his rescue plan for his people being rolled into action. And just in case we are in any shadow of doubt as to the veracity of this account, let me give you one more example of the prophecy of old that is fulfilled directly by our passage. Cross-reference with me another Old Testament prophet, the prophet Daniel. And this text from chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This text is fulfilled by verses 31 to 33 of our text. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You can hear the parallels. One like the Son of Man. One from heaven. One who will be given all authority. One whose kingdom shall not not pass. One whose reign will be forever. And this was written over 500 years previous. Is there anything predicted in our 17th century literature 
that has come to pass in our 21st century? Is there any news whose truth would stand the ages of time as the truth of the proclamation of the one who was to be born? The one to be called Emmanuel, the Son of God, the Ancient of Dates, the one named Jesus. This is the good news that was. It has come, it has passed. The angel has proclaimed the imminent arrival of the one who is to change the news forever. And this has implications for all of us, whether we know Jesus as our Savior or not. It has come to pass. The good news of Jesus' arrival, his his mission to establish a new covenant, a restored relationship with humankind has arrived. Do we really know that to be the case? Do we live in a manner that's reflected of a new relationship? Or are we still weighed down by our sin and its troubles, meandering in nothingness? Do we still have our bias toward negativity? Or do we yearn to live in the light of the good news that was? The good news that was, now the good news that is. How can we have good news that is, one may ask? How can it be new news if it has already happened? How can we have good news as a constant, as an ever-present tense? Well, the answer is as simple as it is profound. We have constant good news because we have a God who is constantly loving. We have constant good news because we have a God who is constantly present. We have constant good news because we have a God who is constantly knowing. We have constant good news because we have a constantly redeeming Savior who never tires, who never gives up, who never ceases to pour out his grace and his blessing. Isaiah 40 and 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Have we not known? Have we not heard? Do we know this good news? It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God would be interested in a person like me and perhaps like you. It takes Mary by surprise, does it not? We read her reaction in verse 29. It says this, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. This, of course, is in response to Gabriel saying, Greetings, O favoured one. Mary's probably never been referred to as a favoured one. So her reaction is quite natural. Then further on, her puzzlement continues when she simply asks, how can this be? Since I am a virgin, as Gabriel lays out to her that she will bear the chosen one. She is the one chosen by God to bear the son of the Most High. How, she asks, how is this possible? I have known no man, she remarks. 
But the angel explains that the conception is not something brought on about by humankind. Rather, this is the work of God. This is God demonstrating his sovereignty. This will be brought about by the power of the Spirit. This is God implementing his rescue plan for his people by his design. There is no influence or inference or ability for humankind to prompt God into rescuing his people. It's at his decree in his time for his glory. And therefore God's desire to know you and to know me intimately should never cease to amaze us because of this. It should never distract us from pondering anew what the Almighty can do. This is the good news. That is the good news is Jesus. The good news is his arrival. The good news is that he has come to save his people. And it demands a reaction. It calls for a response. It calls for us, a people who know this good news, to share the good news. It calls for us to be what our name says, evangelical. It calls for us to be proclaimers of the truth, to tell others about God's love for them, to demonstrate God's love for them, to show God's love for them in the way that we love. And as cliched as it sounds, there is no easier time or more open door to do that than what the Christmas season presents. A time where Jesus is spoken about, a time when people come together, a time when people reflect, a time when People turn up to church for that one time a year. A time when people give and show love. But it's also a time for some that is marked by sadness and loneliness, hardship, frustration and stress. And in all of these highs of human emotion and all the lows of human emotion and for everywhere in between, there is no better answer or medication for the human soul than the love of Jesus. The constant good news. But church, are we going to share it? This isn't a differentiator of the generations. This isn't something for a specific group, specific demographic, persuasion or ability. It's not about confidence or personal attributes. It's not about anything you or I can possibly bring to the table. It's all about our conviction and our dependency upon God. Our total dependency upon Him for us to demonstrate His love to people who are yet to know Him. And to let Him do the rest. I was on a course uh, with work the, the week before last and we had a prominent uh, author and motivational speaker deliver a session to us. And one of the things he spoke about was an idea called Huacapapa. You heard me right. Huacapapa is a Maori belief system which, um, as one of its central tenets, should ensure that we pass legacy on to the next generation by planting trees that you'll never see. So this was his message, plant trees that you won't see. And that was his call to us. Go about our workplace positively impacting people such that we may make a positive influence in them despite never seeing the fruit of the, 
the tree that we may plant, thus ensuring legacy. And it reminded me of Mark's gospel and chapter 26 where it records Jesus as saying this. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. That's our job. To scatter seeds and to rely on him to do the rest. Yes, of course we should pray. Yes, of course we should continue to practice love and provide help where necessary. But we are completely reliant on the saving work of the Holy Spirit to transform a person's heart. And just as well, because we couldn't possibly save them. But how often do we go about scattering those seeds? How often do we actually have those conversations? Or do we put up barriers and objections and predicate the outcome even before handing it over to the Lord? It's becoming increasingly common. Barna, a Christian-focused research group, did a study comparing people's evangelical traits between two points in time, 25 years apart, the year 1993 and the year 2018. And in that study, they asked the exact same question to each group of participants. And in answer to an agree or disagree type question, 89% of study participants agreed with this statement. 89%. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. 89% of people agreed with that in 1993. By 2018, that figure dropped to 64%. A 25-point drop. Or to flip it, 36% of Christians no longer feel that they have a responsibility to share their faith. And out of that 64%, how many actually share their faith? The act of knowing and doing, after all, are two very different things. And all this against a backdrop where in their same research they found that Christian-orientated conversations are only off the table for 7% of non-Christians. In other words, 93% of non-believers will entertain, at least to some degree, a conversation about Jesus. 93 against 64 against whoever knows how many actually have the conversation. Church, we need to get with the good news that is. We need to share the good news that is. We need to pray for each other, encourage one another, spur each other on to share the good news that is. We should pray that Hebron would be the exception to the 64% rule. The good news that was, the good news that is, and now the good news that is to come. In our passage from Luke, there is a sense of anticipation. There is a sense of looking forward. There is a sense of fulfillment on the horizon. The promised one, the Messiah, is about to come. And when he comes, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. We are in the season of anticipation. We are in the season of Advent. 
Wednesday morning in our household was more remarkable than most Wednesdays as we got ready for the day. It was, after all, the first day that the kids got to begin opening up their Advent calendars and there was an air of excitement as they began to count down toward Christmas Day. Julie's here, so I will confess that I'm also partial to a chocolate, especially in the morning. Um, And perhaps the excitement was not just unique for the kids, but so the build-up began. The anticipation leveled up. But in a way, as Christians, we should always be in a season of anticipation. We should be anticipating the good news that is to come. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, so the well-known memorial acclamation goes. But sometimes we don't think much about the third of those declarations and how it shapes our lives and our hope now. But it is fundamental to how we are to live. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. First Peter chapter 4, if you turn to with me contain some very practical instruction on how we're to act at the second coming or in anticipation of the second coming. First Peter 4 and verse 7, to all end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's buried grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The instruction here is consistent, is it not, with all other instruction in terms of how we are to live as believers. We are to do it in the service of others for the glory of God. There is a direct call here to love one another, but to do it earnestly. There is a direct call here to offer hospitality, but to do it without grumbling. The Lord knows us so well, doesn't he? We are here to serve one another. We are to be stewards of his grace. And we are to be reliant upon him as we speak and as we serve. Just as we are when we share that good news. Second half of verse 11 from from that verse there from, from Peter. It says, serve by the strength that God supplies. To do everything through Christ Jesus for his glory. Jesus' return is the second advent. The good news That is to come. The second coming is Jesus' personal, visible, physical return to earth to consummate the salvation of his people, to be glorified in them, and to inflict his just vengeance on those who have defied him and his gospel of grace. At his first coming, Jesus came as a suffering servant, a sacrificial lamb. Hebrews 9 and 26, to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself and to usher in the kingdom rule of God. Read two verses further to Hebrews 9 and 28. And he will appear a second time, it says, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. To consummate the kingdom in its fullness. Eagerly waiting for him. That sense again of anticipation. 
That sense of waiting for the good news that is to arrive. That's what we need to develop within our mindset. A perspective that recognizes that there is a chapter that is yet to come. And when that chapter arrives, it is the concluding chapter for humankind. One either knows Jesus and enjoys freedom and fellowship with him forever. Or one denies Jesus and loses themselves. And church, if we have any, any appreciation for the gravity of that conclusion, then it should be that we would be confident in our conviction of the good news that was. That the fulfillment of the prophecies, the veracity of Jesus' entry into the world is irrefutable. He is the Messiah. If we have any appreciation as a church for the gravity of the conclusion, then it should be our prayer that we would encourage one another to deliver the good news that is. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God's rescue plan. Jesus is grace, forgiveness, mercy. He is the reconciler. He is the interceder. The lamb sacrificed on our behalf. And he's coming back again. He is the good news that is to come. A whole generation of people had Jesus in their midst. They were surrounded by news, but they missed the good news that was. They missed the very happenings of the fulfillment of the prophecies. A whole generation of people had Jesus in their midst, and some knew it, yet they failed to share the good news that is. A whole generation of people had Jesus in their midst, and they knew it, but they denied it, and they closed their minds to the good news that is to come. Church, Jesus is in our midst. Do we know that he was the good news? Do we know that he is the good news? Do we live in the anticipation that he is the good news that is to come? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you had a rescue plan for us. Lord, we thank you that you recognized our, our need for a Savior. And Lord, that you went about providing us with the only one who could possibly redeem us and cleanse us from our sin. Lord, we thank you that where our sin is great, your grace is greater. And Lord, we just pray that we would be mindful of that, that we would remember that you have come, that you have sent your Son, that he has died on our behalf. And Lord, we pray for a deep-rooted conviction amongst us as a church to, to want to share that good news, Lord, to, to tell our friends and our family, our colleagues, our co-workers, those we meet about the love of Jesus. Father, that you would remove from us any barriers of apprehension or hesitation. Lord, that we would have a conviction of you within us. And Lord, that we would be reliant on you to do the rest. Lord, we pray that we would sow seeds 
And Lord, that you would grow the crop in a manner that we know not how. And Father, we look forward today to your return. To the consummation of your people. We give you thanks for the good news that was, that is, and that is to come. In your precious Son's name. Amen.